So I'm your host, Troy Peters, Chief Experience Officer here at Seize Productions, and going to guide you through the world of live event production. Seize Backstage is recorded on the first and third Thursday of every month, so set those reminders so you can hashtag seize your moment. And speaking of seizing your moment, we have a podcast that we recorded a little while ago, um, and we're just going to play that for this episode today. But it, it's an interview, a uh, conversation between uh, Zach, our, our CEO, president of, of Seeds Productions, and Phil Mershon, who's got a great book, Unforgettable, The Art and Science of Creating Memorable Experiences. So uh, yeah. anything and, you want to add? Yeah, actually, Tyler, our marketing director, joined us for that, and that was fun. Oh, um, fantastic. Yeah, no. so no, Phil is actually a client of ours, and uh, he is a very outside-the-box thinker, uh, which I love, right? Because I get very tired tired of doing the same thing, as we all do, right? Yeah. So, um, yeah, it was fun. It was a good time. Right on. Well, we'll let everybody watch that uh, that podcast, and uh, yeah, thanks again. Welcome to the podcast. Uh, this is our first attempt at one of these things, but should be fun. Uh, anybody tuning in, we appreciate you joining us for the experiment. Uh, we're going to be kicking off today. It's uh, myself, Tyler, with the marketing team. We've got Zach here, president of the company, and our guest today is Phil Mershon. Yeah, good to be here. Yeah. So why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. So I am director of experience for Social Media Examiner. been working with you guys for a couple years on, I think, what, three different events that we've done together coming up on our fourth one been with social media examiner for 13 years and just wrote a book uh, called unforgettable the art and science of creating memorable experiences and that's been fun took about six years wow to write the book yeah <laughs> um well i was writing in the middle of the pandemic yeah and okay. so it became irrelevant for about two years there where i didn't care about it and neither did the market and even my publisher said yeah put it on pause that's not a book we want to release right now. Right. So. Well, that's really cool. Uh, at, you know, at the, so making good use of the pandemic during the time when obviously events were a little bit on hold, knowing, of course, that they're going to come back because people like being in person. People like having experiences. And I think that really relates to what you've been doing all these years. Uh, and you kind of teed it up and you're really ready to come out of the gates and get this thing on the road and show everybody. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So um, when did you decide you wanted to write the book and, and why did you want to do it? So it's a funny story. When I was a kid, I thought I was a terrible writer. Fifth grade, um, my teacher gave us the permission to, to grade ourselves, and he, he could agree or disagree with our grades. And I gave myself a C in writing, okay. and I gave myself A's and everything else because I thought I was a terrible writer. And he agreed with me. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and then in college, I, I was taking a Bible class, and the professor said, you've got some really interesting ideas, but you really should take a writing class because you're not very good. <laughs> and I, was, I peck, picked economics because I didn't want to write. Yeah. I was good at math. I did not want to write more papers than I had to. And, but then it was during that first writing class that I took that I realized, oh, I can write. And when I was in grad school, one of my professors said, Phil, I predict that someday you're going to write several books. And I thought, yeah, you're crazy. You're smoking something. <laughs> he smoked pipes. Yeah. Um, so he was smoking something. <laughs> but it was in 2017 when the bug hit me. You know, I graduated grad school in 2002. So it took 15 years for the first idea of a book to really germinate to the point of I was going to do something about it and not just say, I'm going to write a book someday. And that was sitting at a conference here in San Diego, actually, where I was listening to one of the the teachers, he was actually the MC of the event, 
And he set the table. He didn't share the idea, but he set the table where this idea of making time stand still grabbed my attention. And I realized that's kind of what really good events create a moment for you where your the rest of your life slows down, where you're able to put it on pause and really focus on something and have time to consider a big idea, a deep conversation, whatever it might be, that allows you to make a pivot in your business, a pivot in your life. And I realized that's what I wanted to do is figure out how do I do that consistently, but also how do I help others right. do that? And so that became the impetus for the book. Okay. I eventually realized that's impossible. Making time stand still is something only God can do. I can't do it. Sure. But I can create conditions where at least it feels like time is slowing down. Yeah. And so that's that's ultimately what the book does is show you some of those ingredients for how to do that. Hmm. Yeah, it's kind of like that idea of just being present, right? Being in the moment and everything kind of seems to come. And, and it's really if you reflect back on like that idea of time slowing down, it usually happens in these impressionable times, these big moments, these things that are pivotal. Yep. Like when you create that effect for people, they're going to feel like that event is a moment in time that's really important because things felt like they slowed down. Yeah, absolutely. And sometimes those pivot moments are, you know, it's a pivot moment, you know, like you're in a transition between jobs or you literally went to a conference, you know, like you went to an event because you're having a crisis in your business and you need to figure some stuff out. But other times you don't realize that you need it and it becomes that serendipitous moment where you know, the, one of my profs said 15 minutes can change your life. Yeah. You'd never know when that 15 minutes is going to come. If you, but if you're present, like you're right. saying, it, it can happen to you. If you're not looking for it and you're not open to it, it'll never happen. Right. And so I think as event organizers, we can create an atmosphere and you guys do that, you know, with production. If you do a good job with lighting and sound, you're not assaulting people's senses with too much sound or too little sound where they're noticing you. Right. You've created an environment where they can really relax and enter in and feel safe. Then those bigger ideas and conversations can happen. Right. In, one, in the conversations that we've had um, leading up to this event, I will say that um, just getting to know you, I, I'll agree with your professor that you know I knew you'd write something because writing really comes from ideas, big ideas. And mm -hmm. I've always in our conversations seen that you have them you really look at these events and you extract value out of like how to run them and how to set them up and have all these great insights. Uh, in our conversations, you were talking a little bit about um, five pain points or five threats to every event. I think right. that would be a really great topic for us to discuss today. Could you dive into a little bit about w what those are and what that means? So if we're thinking about how do we create conditions for transformation, that's really where this came from. And I'll back up for a second because there's a, another idea that led to this. Um, I was at a playground one time and watching the merry-go-round and watching kids and watching adults get on it. And I realized there's a principle here at play that is just like a great event. So, you know, a merry-go-round has centrifugal and centripetal forces that are working against each other that create the conditions for that ride. Centripetal and centrifugal. I don't think I said those right. I think um, <laughs> so they're, they're in opposition creating that spin, right? And if it's going too fast, people get thrown off the ride. If it's going too slow, people get bored and get off the ride. If it's going too fast again, it could also force you in. So it could either throw you off or, or push you to the middle. Either one of those is uncomfortable. 
but your right speed and my right speed are probably not the same. And definitely a 10-year-old and an 80-year-old are going to have two different speeds. So events have to take into account what are those forces that are keeping people engaged with the event and what are going to throw them off. So these five threats came from that concept of what are the things that are going to throw people off the ride and maybe they're not going to get back on. Okay. So they formed the word dried because um, I've – I also have this idea about unforgettable is something that's either really good or really bad. Right. Yeah, right? And we want the really good kind of unforgettable. Yeah. We don't want the really bad kind. I think about 80% of events are forgettable. And there's this German psychologist, and I'm not going to get his name right now. Um, it's, it sounds very German. Yeah. But he created the, the forgettable cycle and figured out that after a month, People forget almost 90% of what they learned and experienced at an event. That's crazy. And that's not good. Like, yeah. you're, people are paying you guys millions of dollars a year to create events. And if 90% of it is lost, and who knows if that 10% is the right percent? Yeah. You know, what if those are the wrong ideas? Yeah. So we want to we increase the percent of retention. We want to keep people on the ride as long as possible. We want to give them every reason to lean back in to the ride. So... Forgettable in my book is boring. Yeah. Forgettable is boring. And so this word dried forms the five threats. So D stands for dull, boring. It's something that you, you know, you're going to forget right away. It just is not very inspiring. Um, doesn't move you very much. R is resistance. So resistance could be the person who they heard about your event. And they heard that you guys have a bad reputation or they have a friend who went to your event. So they're a bit suspicious or they've already had a bad customer experience with you. And so they've already got some reservation about, mm, I'm not so sure, or they're just not, sh maybe their boss made them come to the event. Mm -hmm. I don't really want to learn about social media, but my boss made me come. So I'm resistant. Right. Yeah. The I is isolation. So this could be someone who's naturally introverted and just withdrawn in general. It could be someone who doesn't feel like they really fit in. Um, yeah. So they're staying off to themselves. They're not really engaging in the community. They could be someone who's neurodiverse. And so they, you know, the loud sounds and lots of lights and things affect them differently than the average person. And so they're also pulling back and isolated. They could have come alone. They could have. Many people come alone, and they haven't found a friend yet. They don't feel like they're part of the tribe. Right. Uh, e stands for exhausted, and that could be your event is running from 6 a.m. till 2 a.m., and, and they're trying to do all of it. And so they're worn out. They're not drinking enough high, you know, water, so they're dehydrated. Or it could be they're overwhelmed because— I was with the guys from NAM last night where, you know, sometimes they have 100,000 people and hundreds of sessions, and it's just way too much right. uh, for someone to try to do it all. And so it could be overwhelming, and you, maybe you don't know where to start. And then the last D is for distracted, and it's like the squirrel from Up, right? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. you're, you're being pulled by social – oh, like, yeah. yeah you know, you're, you're constantly having your attention – taken different directions and you're not sure where to focus. Okay. So those are the five threats that I look at. Like do you, are those just in, are there's a, like a priority order or any of those stand out or is that going to be event to event? You have to like, I think that's on? event to event. And, and there, that may not be an exhaustive list. Like you might have something else at an event you're running that those five don't, don't line up, but those are the ones that I've seen over time yeah, seem kind of to be the big ones. And you could probably relate whatever you're, 
you're finding to one of those five. Yeah. So, so do you feel like, like in working with you, um, I think one of the things that I like about, or, you know, one of the things, there's a lot of things, but, um, you always approach, you know, you're planning events very outside the box, creative <laughs> solutions, right? Hmm. Um, and I think it's an AV company too, you know, like personally, we get bored sometimes of doing the same, you know, black drape, two screens, whatever. So it's kind of refreshing to work with someone who is, uh, you know, thinking that way, mm. right? So I guess I'm just curious, you know, these, these threats, you know, when you're designing your events, Creatively, like what what do you have specifically in mind to avoid those things, and do they apply equally to the different age groups? Knowing that your demographic may span from, let's say, all the way down to eighteen year olds to maybe sixty year olds, right? Who all have a, a different, you know, I don't know, approach to life, right? Different right. thresholds, different life right. experiences right. that drive yeah. right. their interaction with those points. Right. Yeah, I don't. It's I don't think it's possible to <clears throat> hit every age group with everything that you do, but you need to keep er, the age groups in account. So I'm going to switch away from these threats and talk about music for a minute. Yeah. Um, I'll tell a bad story on myself, but what I learned from it. So I'm a jazz saxophonist. You know that. You've mm -hmm. seen me play. And for the first few years of our event, I hired local musicians here in San Diego because I used to live here, and we played jazz. I thought jazz would be a perfect music as people are walking in. You kind of want wallpaper music. You don't really want them paying attention. It just needs to be a good vibe so they'll talk to each other. Right. I thought that was perfect. It probably took three or four years for people to start to get the courage to say something to me that, hey, Phil, maybe that's not the best choice of music. It's great. We yeah. love hearing you play, but that's not our music. And it, you know, it took me two years to listen to them. Because I was like, no, I'm right. <laughs> right. You know, you're wrong. Right. Um, but finally, I said, okay, tell me who, who is the person coming to the event. And I understood at that point that it was probably someone in the, her late 30s, early 40s who worked for someone else's business. She's probably fits the radio terminology of a soccer mom. Mm -hmm. um, what does she listen to? And pretty much guaranteed it's not jazz, except maybe when she goes on a date. Right. <laughs> so yeah, she's right. probably listening to top 40 or country or something in that vein. And so I started having a revelation of, okay, I can still play, but I need to switch up the music and then start to have a playlist. And Ruben, who's on your team, he and I worked together with some others and we created a list that targeted people everywhere from like 25 to 55, 60 and had, you know, different decades of music and went through and picked top 20 songs, top 40 songs from those different age groups. And people came up to me after this year's event and said, man, I want that playlist. There we go. Um, I love the songs that you picked. It was perfect. Yeah. It like had the right vibe. It was inspirational. I wasn't picking you know downer songs. It was like yeah. good, upbeat messages, upbeat music. And it set a tone that made people feel comfortable. And it kind of tied into some of what I just talked about, where if, people are feeling isolated you want to draw them in well you need to make them feel comfortable right so the music says hey we we know the songs that you listened to when you were younger the songs when you thought you could change the world yeah, yeah. that's the songs that i want to play to tap into that emotion that's going to get you ready for the moment of transformation so you know thinking outside the box that took me outside of a box of i've got to be uncomfortable sure with things that i'm comfortable with so how, yeah, how do you? I was gonna say, how do you? Um, are what you personally think and want to do for an event ever at odds with 
you know, what someone else is telling you needs to happen or whatever. And, and how do you make the decision which way to go? You know, what's the best? Yeah. Well, that's a perfect example of one where yeah. what I wanted is not what the audience ultimately wanted. Right. Um, sometimes I have situations where the budget's not going to allow me to do what I want. Mm-hmm. You know, you and I had to work through this this year where I really wanted to have an LED wall, mm-hmm. but we couldn't afford it, you know. So we had to figure out a different way. Right. And, you know, people in the company said, well, we already own this light box, and I thought it looked kind of cheesy. Well, we said, well, that's kind of what we're stuck with. Let's let's make it look good. And you guys with creative lighting made it look fantastic. Um, at least in the pictures, it looks pretty amazing. And so it was like, okay. I wasn't really happy with the decision, but it was like, how do we make the best of it? Yeah. Um, in service to the audience and not one person who filled out our survey said anything about how the stage looked. Yeah. I think that's an important thing to look at too with solutions, right? Like when we, that's kind of our job in the, on our side is when you come up against something, it's like, well, I can't afford this. What can I do? Then we tell you what's possible. And that doesn't, that's just a starting off point, right? That's a whole process of figuring out what's going to work, how we can make it work. There's so many variations that we can go through and that's really, really important. And to your point as well, that like, you know, the audience is going to only really notice it if it's glaringly bad. Right. But they're not going to call it out when there's, you know, they might be complaining about it. Yeah, it's like things. Yelp, right? How often do you leave the good Yelp review, right? Yeah. As opposed to the bad one. Right. Right. Almost yeah. never. Right? It, yeah. And it also comes into that idea of don't let, you know, great get in the way of perfect. Yes. Or rather, right. perfect get in the way of great. Yes. Right? You've only got so much time. To, you know, you got to find which things are important to hit on. Yeah. And I will say your story, one thing that's great there, because from a, as, as a marketer that stood out, is that idea of like, it's the artist in us that wants to put the thing that we want up on the stage. Right. But it's the, you know, when you're building an event, it's a lot like marketing in which you have to consider your audience and what they care about. Right. And that is, that is at odds when you're a creative person because a creative person is typically an artist. Right. And right. it's a good skill to be able to manage that. Yeah. And I think as an event organizer, producer, I recognize I'm not that soccer mom, right? Mm-hmm. Once I realized that's who our audience was, and it took us years to kind of get the data that told us that story. But once we understood, it's like, oh, well, that's not me. I cannot design this event for me. And, you know, I used to be a worship pastor, and I would fall guilty of planning a service that met my needs. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that wasn't the needs that people had. So for me, I had to have regular conversations with people who fit the demographic of who I'm trying to serve right. and really put myself in their shoes and say, well, what, what would they want? What's going to make them comfortable? Just like, you know, what songs would they have been listening to when they really were in a state of mind? They wanted to change the world. How do I tap into that emotion? How do I make them feel so comfortable that when a big idea hits them, they're going to be ready to take action on it? Um, yeah. And that's that's a different group of people. And I, you know, I don't always hit it, but now I'm really trying to plan for that person. Yeah. So it does require out of the box thinking of, kind of almost dying to my my own desires, yeah. if you will, and then placing them before me and saying, okay, what does Sally want? Yeah. You know, if Sally is the marketer, and I think that is the name we use, um, so what is, what's going to make Sally uh, really excited? How is she going to feel comfortable talking to her neighbors? What sessions is she going to go to? What's going to get her off that merry-go-round, and how do I get her back on? What's yeah. going to make her want to keep staying on that ride? So what I'm curious about, is um, how do you feel the role of technology affects, you know, people being engaged or less engaged? You know, like, what are the keys to make it not distracting and engaging, you know? Mm. 
You ever, I mean, we've talked about it, you know, as we were planning our own events, but you right. know, I, I think that, like you were saying, the flashing lights and all that stuff can definitely get in the way of the message. And so how do you make sure you're not doing that and you're keeping the focus on the message? Yeah. I do think one of the things we have to account for is people are used to screen technologies that are changing constantly. So I would answer this question differently 15 years ago than I would today. 15 years ago, it had been, you know, less is more. And I still think less is more, but that less is a higher amount. And maybe it's just what it is. So one of the things I noticed that you guys did at our event this this past time is the use of uplights and changing colors. So it was subtle changes. It wasn't like flashy disco lights and trying to interfere with the brain. It was more setting moods. Mm-hmm. And people would probably never have said that something had changed. But there was a, a definite difference in the room. So technology was complementing the circadian rhythms of the day, okay. you know, where people have a different feel and vibe and energy in the morning versus in the middle of the day versus later in the day versus at night. And whether Dave, your lighting guy, knew that, you know, objectively or just feeling it, I don't know. Um, but I think technology helps me as a presenter and helps presenters keep it interesting and pe- keep people engaged. Right. So a really good presenter doesn't need it. Like, they don't even need slides. They could yeah. keep an audience, someone who's a master communicator. But most of us, myself included, slides help because yeah. we need to engage as many senses as we possibly can. Right. And having visual content and having movement, um, as long as it's not that, di- you know, the last D of my dried is distraction. So right. there is a line where technology moves to distraction, and there's a place where technology actually brings people back. Right. And I think that's a... It's a subjective thing. It's going to depend on the event and the audience. I don't know if there's like, I could draw a firm line. I think it's a conversation that, you know, if I'm working with you, we're figuring that out almost per session and definitely per event. Yeah. And that line is probably different, you know, for let's say a younger crowd than it is an older crowd, right? Yeah. So, yeah. And maybe even the content that you're doing, right? Like if you're doing something super serious, Versus something a little bit lighter, you might want to have a little bit more mood shifts and a little bit yeah. more technology uh, flash and flare. And you think even this day and age when there is so much technology at events that still a speaker without slides and content, if they're effective, can be as effective? With good lighting yeah, and a good stage, okay. you know, maybe some props. It could be minimalist, but I think it can be done. Um, you know, it depends on how many are in the room. So if you're in front of 5,000 people, you're going to need some iMags, right. you know, get them up on the screen. But, you know, Tony Robbins probably doesn't need a lot. No. Probably doesn't. Um, he's, he's got a seasoned. lot to amplify his voice as well, though. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it just depends on who the speaker is. Um, yeah, I, I will say LED wall with movement and a really good VJ behind that for entertainment value you know, is enormous yeah. and it's, it's compelling and it draws you in and, and it makes it even, it enhances it. Yeah. So that that's knowing what those moments are where it can really enhance that moment. And that's kind of way I think about events is I'm planning it moment by moment, almost like a film score. Oh. You know, you're looking at scenes. Yeah. What's the right thing to be doing in this scene, in this moment? And Do you ever storyboard your events? Um, I, <laughs> something I've thought about 
I have not. Be, when you said that, I was like, that could be a really cool tool for an event planner. Yeah, we look at it by minute, minute by minute, but I've never storyboarded it that way because it's a new idea that I've only had in the last year that to actually look at it the way Hans Zimmer would approach the event and say, okay, Hans, I want you to write the score for social media marketing world. And he would start asking questions about who are the people coming and what what's the emotion that people yeah. are having in this moment and where are you trying to take them? And I'm going to use music to walk them from here to there. Well, it's not just music. There's a musical score, but there's a technological score right. to yeah. your point. Now, where does technology fit into that? When do we want to enhance? Where does lighting fit into that? Where does yeah. staging fit into that? Um, yeah. All those kinds of things. As an AV company, it'd be really interesting if a client came to us and said, here's the storyboard of our event. Like, that would give us a lot of visual direction on what they're wanting, right? Like, and, and cut through some of that conversation. Yeah. You know, a lot of times as the AV company, I feel like we're one of the last things thought about, right? Right. The event. Like, most of the time, the venue's already chosen, you know, even the menus are chosen, seating arrangement, and it's like, oh, yeah, we need screens and we need these other things, right? Right. So... One of the, the cool things that's been in, in working together is that we actually have been pulled into the process a lot sooner so that we could help, you know, with some of those decisions. Right. I remember specifically si- sitting in a meeting about Internet, right, where yeah. nobody ever asked me about Internet. But, uh, you know, we know a lot about, you know, if we're streaming, what bandwidth is going to be needed on the Internet. So, you know, I'm sitting there in the meeting and we're like, OK, we we don't need that. We don't need that. We don't need that. End up saving, you know, many, many thousands of dollars for. Yeah you know, the client here. So it's, I've liked to have that relationship with you. Um, my question leading into the question was, uh, or maybe it's not a lead in, but, um, I, I'm curious, you know, when you're planning your events, what are you looking for in partners, you know, and, and how do you, how do you make decisions, whether it's AV or, you know, who else is, is involved decor or, uh, I don't know. Yeah. Whatever. There's a lot of players, right? How do you, what are you looking for from the people that you hire to put on your event in, in terms of, you know, how you're going to work together? Obviously, price is only one of the things I look at. It is a consideration, but I recognize, especially on a large item like AV, that the initial proposal is not really where it's going to land because there's a lot of nuance that has to happen later in conversation. So I'm looking at someone, do I... Can I see myself partnering with this person? Do I like talking to them? Are they sharing my value for service? Mm-hmm. Like the customer experience, are they focused on the customer experience? Or are they just coming in and bringing a, com- a commodity? Mm-hmm. Like, is this just something that they take off the shelf and say, okay, yeah, we sell speakers, we sell mics, we sell lights. Right. Um, we can do that for you for X number of dollars. That doesn't feel like someone that I'm going to be able to create the magic that I've been talking about with. So I'm looking for someone in their conversation to say things that I would say. Mm -hmm. So when I talked to you, one of the things that you talked about and I asked you, you know, what's your philosophy of customer service? Um, The way that you talked about it could have been something I put on my stage to teach all of my volunteers. Mm. And so that to me resonated. It's like, okay, he's got a bigger vision and he's... He's training his staff to work the same way that I work. Right. So that was really important to me. There's certain um, certain vendors that I work with that are a commodity. Mm-hmm. You know, they have decor. They don't have decor. They can put it up. I do look for creativity. Uh, smaller dollar item ones, I don't put as much effort into as the larger dollar items. Yeah. Uh, but in the larger ones, I'm definitely looking for someone that I see as a partner 
that this is a relationship that's going to be around for a while. Yeah. Um, not necessarily forever and ever, because uh, you know values change and all that. But that's part of what I'm looking for. Okay. And then how do you decide in terms of when you're going to bring someone in, right? Like we've talked about how how far or how ahead in the event you bring any vendor or any partner in. What are some of the things that drives that decision? Personally, I like to involve as as early as is comfortable okay. uh, for you because uh, the creativity, we need to be able to be creative when we're not under the, the constraint of time. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, when there's only 90 days, there's a lot of things that are off the table yeah. because certain people aren't available to you, right? Yeah. So if we can start talking about LED walls, let's just use that as an example, six months out, and you know that you've got the perfect VJ available, we can have that conversation then, but right. two months out, that person may not be available, and so all of a sudden, why are we spending all that money yeah. on this? The the element of time, especially in, in what we do with AV, is not something I feel like everybody seems to understand because you know, any AV company, big or small, is relying at least some degree on the market of freelancers available, equipment available. I mean, even the biggest companies out there are renting yeah. equipment. So especially last year as we're coming off COVID and everybody's having events, you know, if you're not booking stuff three, four, five, six months out and you're hoping things are going to be available or the right people are going to be available, you know, a week or two, which happened a fair amount last year, you know, you're, you're putting your event at risk, right? So I think that's one of the things that you guys have done right from the start. And I've told you that is, Mm -hmm. is getting way ahead of the curve to make sure we have, you know, all of the options on the table when we start talking about the event, you know? I'll tell you one thing. It's, it's tempting because we've done our event 10 times. It's tempting to not have site visits after 10 times and seven of those in the same venue, actually eight of those in the same venue. It's tempting not to do it because we know the building. Mm. Like, I've lived in the building. <laughs> right. yeah. I've probably spent a half a year, <laughs> you know, in the yeah. building. Yeah. And so it's tempting not to do it, but because of all that we've been talking about where you're trying to imagine what's this experience going to be like for this new event that we're doing. And we don't do themes, but we do consider the audience and we do consider that that's a shifting audience is getting younger, especially relative to my age. Um, I do have natural hair loss. (laughs) (laughs) Mine is strictly from this job. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, it's important, especially on you know, bringing in the partners, because yeah. I think creativity, it may be nuanced creativity one year to the next, but I don't like to just rinse and repeat yep. everything. Right. There's some things that make sense, like our breakouts. Sure. You know, we don't do massive changes in those. We will be next year because we learned some things this year about wireless technology that mm-hmm. um, we didn't account for the Navy and that the Navy might interfere yeah. with wireless technology. Yeah, and they will do. And uh, we're close to one of their bases. So like, okay, we've got to make some changes. Uh, that's not going to affect the user experience, except for mics won't be dropping out as much yeah. because we're going to solve that. Right. But there's other things. You know, we, we know we want to change the backdrop of our stage. I saw something at another event, you know, where they had a stage running the entirety of the room which allowed the speaker to do some very interesting things. Very cool. And I was like, huh, that's an interesting thought. What if? And I don't know that we would or wouldn't, but, you know, we see things. I think one of the things about involving you guys early, and this is a big idea for me, I was talking to a guy a couple weeks ago about Disney World. He used to work at Disney Institute. Yeah. 
And he said, Disney has an unfair advantage over every event company on the planet because they are producing an event every day of the year. And they can experiment and learn from those experiments every day of the year. True. You're doing a lot of events every year. Yeah. I'm doing a couple. Yeah. So I need partners who are doing a lot of events to help me learn faster to figure out what's working, what happened at other events that worked really well, right. what did other events do that really failed. Mm-hmm. If I don't listen to you, I'm actually hurting myself. Yeah. I'm staying stagnant or I'm taking risks on things and then asking you to do something that you know is not going to work because right. you've seen it. Yep. Um, and there's things that I'm not aware of. So right. if I don't have good partners who are doing a lot of events, then yeah. I'm actually shooting myself in the foot. Yeah. I think that actually dovetails perfectly into that idea you were saying and just in terms of choosing a partner versus a commodity is where it's like our expertise on other people's shows is valuable to you. Yes. Yeah, and often it's an unleveraged thing by our clients, you know. They they may not realize the extent of our our knowledge, you know. And right. In fact, there's, you know, a full team here has been doing this. I mean, I've been I've been pushing c- cases for my dad since I was in high school, you know. So I've I've seen everything I yeah. feel like, right? Yeah. Um but yeah, people people often don't ask. They just they think, I don't know. Either they don't, they know everything, or maybe, I, I don't know. I don't know what the reason is. Everyone's got their own reason. But I mean, we're willing to help, you know, elevate the entire experience by providing that knowledge. Even sit in these meetings, like I said about like internet, or help you choose a venue. Right. Right. Do you need to rig? Well. I don't know. I can, I can, let's talk about your event and, and right. figure out if you need to rig something or not based on what you need to do. Like, we can help, you know, guide you to the right thing. I think that that's, thing, you yeah. Know? That's really important too because, uh, as Phil was kind of talking about, like, he doesn't want to get stuck in a rut doing the same thing every year. He still will go to those site visits. And I think that one of the things that get, gets people trapped in that from an event planner's perspective is, when they're not bringing in their partners early enough to help solve some of those problems early, they then kind of get pigeonholed into doing the thing yes. they know how to do over and over again, which basically clamps down their ability to be creative. Right. right. We used to work with an event management company, and they were with us from our first year all the way through our ninth year. And the thing that I didn't tap into enough was between year one and year nine, they were serving 30 other events every year. So do the math. I did twenty. I did nine events in those nine years, actually ten, plus some virtual events. Yeah. And they did thirty times nine. That's two hundred seventy events. Can you think? Do you think they learned a lot more than I did? Yeah. A hundred percent, they did. Yeah. They were way more organized. They were bringing so much insight. And then when they they made a pivot, they they're no longer serving events like ours. They're making a pivot. Now all of a sudden, we lost that. Mm-hmm. And that was had become a huge. Um, competitive advantage for us over other events that we didn't account for that cumulative benefit. And you guys have the same thing. Yeah. Um, And frankly, any company that's doing a lot of events every year, if they're learning, you know, if they're taking risk and trying to stay current and documenting the things they learn, then that's an advantage to every person like me that's out there. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. Um. All right. Well, we've talked about a lot of stuff. Um, I got one that's kind of funny. Um, <laughs> handshakes. Uh, you remember when we first met? I don't know for sure. The first time I met Phil in person. Okay, this is this is funny. <laughs> there's there's a uh, well, we've been talking. You know, yeah. it's COVID. We've been talking, and and probably I don't know. We've probably done a hundred Zoom meetings up until that point. But you ever meet somebody and you go in for a a normal handshake? Yeah, yeah. And they give you one of these and and all this stuff. Yep. So I 
I went for the normal handshake with <laughs> Phil, and Phil did one of these things, and I wasn't expecting it. And I remember going home, telling my wife, like, oh, my God, I really screwed up. Like, I didn't know that we were on that level to do yet. the secret handshake. <laughs> yeah. And and so. Creating <laughs> memorable events, even in yeah. a handshake. Yeah. So um, <laughs> what what is the handshake? What is, what is you have? I don't even know what I don't? did. Oh. I'm not good. I, I imagine we started with the hand clasp. Yeah, it was, it it was something probably, like this. Well, I think okay. we probably started here. Okay. Right, wait. We probably started here, okay. then here, and then pop. Okay. Pop out. out. Right. There you go. Okay. And we probably came Classic. in for a hug. Yeah. Yeah. And See? It may be in part because I'm going to a uh, diverse church where one of the pastors is African American, and there's quite a few. And okay. so it's like that's what happens there. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. yeah just because, um, you know, we are. It was probably the bald heads. The bald heads. I I felt a natural brotherhood with you. (laughs) And so maybe that brought out the brother. I don't know. I don't know. I just know as men, there's there's this variation on handshakes. And if you don't get it right, sometimes like. Sometimes you feel, yeah, you feel like you came in wrong. Or, you know, there is also the over squeezer. You know, you don't want to be an over squeezer a little too hard. Or the under. Or the under squeezer. The limp. Yeah, the limp wrist. Yeah. Yeah. All all very, very important. Yeah. I I do wish there was like one. Standard. That everybody standard. knew because when you go <laughs> it's in the fist to meet bump. somebody that's new, we, yeah. Well, you know, at least you know what COVID did kind of standardize handshakes. Yeah. Everybody just went. Well, to that's this. the it's actual. True. That's the yeah. origin of the fist yeah. bump. Is back in the day, just to, when there was yeah. a lot of yeah. Yeah. So bringing it back after COVID seems quite natural. Yeah, that's really funny. Yeah. I I did not have that memory of meeting you, so don't worry. Okay, good. It was yeah. not awkward to me. Sometimes I. You know, build these things in my head much yeah. bigger than they actually are. But I remember specifically yeah, I like, oh, that to guy's wife. out after this event. <laughs> uh, you got the handshake wrong. Yeah. <laughs> Do you have any, uh, any, what's your memory of first meeting Zach? I just enjoyed meeting him. Yeah, yeah. I I don't have a specific. I think it was at the Hilton, and we had coffee yeah. outside yeah, the actually, Hilton. That was it. Yeah, because um, you just came down for a couple hours and we chatted. And yeah, yeah. It's I, been a great partnership, I'd say. Yeah, I think probably my memory was. Welcome to the podcast. Uh, this is our first attempt at one of these things, but it should be fun. Uh, anybody tuning in, we appreciate you joining us for the experiment. Uh, we're going to be kicking off today. It's uh, myself, Tyler, with the marketing team. We've got Zach here, president of the company. And our guest today is Phil Marchand. Yeah, good to be here. Yeah. So why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. So I am director of experience for Social Media Examiner. Been working with you guys for a couple of years on, I think, what, three different events that we've done together, coming up on our fourth one. Been with Social Media Examiner for 13 years and just wrote a book uh, called Unforgettable, The Art and Science of Creating Memorable Experiences. And that's been fun. Took about six years wow. to write the book. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, I was writing in the middle of the pandemic. Yeah. And okay. so it became irrelevant for about two years there where I didn't care about it and neither did the market. And even my publisher said, yeah, put it on pause. That's not a book we want to release right now. Right. So. Well, that's so, really cool. Uh, at, you know, at the, so making good use of the pandemic during the time when obviously events were a little bit on hold, knowing, of course, that they're going to come back because people like being in person, people like having experiences. And I think that really relates to what you've been doing all these years. Uh, and you kind of teed it up and you're really ready to come out of the gates and get this thing on the road and show up. I do a lot of content and video since we're going to be doing virtual and streams and websites and video editing and all of that. Uh, it was a perfect fit. So I always had something to do, even though it's not, you know, as many events going on for the marketing. And it's been a good fit. Yeah. You know, we've we've got we came through quite strongly and we're on a growth path. And I think f- in terms of the company, we've got, uh, you know, we we're talking a little bit before hopping on here. 
we're really trying to do the things, you know, to le be industry leaders, and uh, that's very marketing worthy. Mm -hmm. We've got a strong message, and the only thing we need to do is take all these things that you've already experienced and just put it out there so the world knows that, yeah, that we're doing them. Yeah, that's the whole point of what we're doing. You know, to me, not everything is about making a buck, right? Like, yeah. it's yeah. not. Like, I like to do things that are fun, um, and I want to, you know, I've been doing this for so long that I think that a lot of what I know just as like intuitively yeah. is not so intuitive for other people. So, yeah. and I don't really realize that until I sit in some of those meetings, you know, that um, we are talking about internet or rigging or whatever. And I just, you know, I know I can rattle this stuff off the top of my yep. head. So um, we decided we want to start putting, you know, information out there like this to help other people, you know, whether they um, want to reach out to us to work together or not, it's fine. Like I, yeah. I just, I think there's a lot of, you know, for lack of a better word, BS out there in our industry. People that talk fast and say they're going to do things that they can't do or don't know any better. And yeah. I'm just kind of tired of seeing it. So, you know, we decided we want to. Yeah, I think it also it. does a, the other thing that it serves, even if it's not directly bringing in customers, and that's totally fine, is it's giving us the ability to, you know, you, as you, you learn from teaching, you learn from presenting. Yes because you need to organize your thoughts in order to do so right. in a coherent way. So when we sit down and do these things, it forces us to do research. It forces us to think about what's important. It forces us to prioritize these and things. beyond AV too, right? Yeah. Like oh, yeah. this stuff we're talking about has almost nothing to do with AV. Yeah, what you're fitting in with the larger tapestry of what makes a great event, what makes yeah. a great experience, right. you know better what your role is. And I 100% right. agree exactly. with you. Doing this or writing and both really um, helped you to organize your thoughts in a way that will make you way more valuable to the world. Imagine in a year when you've done, you know, 20, 30, 40 episodes, you're going to have a catalog of things that you've talked about where you're going to be able to transcribe that and turn that into booklets and turn that into teachings right. that you can do for your customers and future customers and yeah. make the world better. And Absolutely. You'll, you'll actually have made some changes in your own thinking as you talk things out and realize, oh, we don't have that quite right. Learning right. growth. It's like right. your example with the jazz music from earlier. Yeah. Exactly. Got to be exactly. open to it. Well, and one of my things is I'm, I'm excited for the time when someone comes in, new client comes in, and they're like, hey, you know, I really, I was watching that podcast with Phil, and he was mentioning a couple of these things. And I really want to make sure we're focused on that in our event. And like, to me, that will be the sign of some real success with this particular project. Right. Yeah. Well, it does do pre-sales for you. If someone's watching this podcast or watching one of your episodes and they say, I like the way they're talking about this yeah. and all of a sudden they're warm when they call you. So it helps you, yeah. but you're also helping the world get better at what they do. So I love that. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. And then, you know, it's a lot better than just running paid ads and putting our logo somewhere, you know? Yeah. Well, I think that's probably yeah. a, g a good wrapping up point here for us. Off, yeah. yeah. Anything right. else you want to talk about? When is the book coming out actually? So the book's available. Okay. Um, it's on Amazon and Barnes and Noble, it's, as well as through my site okay. at filmershawn.com. Okay. So depending on when people are watching this, it's either pre-order or by the time this releases, I we'll think have it'll a link be, up on the page with it it'll be well. fully available um, through any site where you can order books. So awesome. that's exciting. Yeah. And do you have plans for your next book already? Um, I've th got thoughts on it, okay. but no plans. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll definitely have you back for that. Yeah. All right. Sounds good. All right. Thanks, yeah. Phil. Thanks, sir. Thanks, guys.